0: He
1: will say,
0: Jesus loves me.
1: That was wonderful, Jim. Thank you. Man, I love to hear you sing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, we're right on the edge of Christmas. I'm excited. We have a little tree set up in our house this year. Well normally we have we have a, a big tall one. I mean it's it's big but we went smaller this year. One, because it was easier. But two, that new dog of ours is telling my veterinarian friend this week, he's the most passive-aggressive animal I've ever seen. He, uh, and he's done well with the tree. He's only knocked it down once off the table. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know, he's kind of like some of us sometimes when things don't go our way. He'll want our attention. He did this to Stephen and I the other day. We were sitting in the kitchen talking to each other at the uh, little breakfast bar there. And he was barking and wanting to go outside, but he had just been outside. And he's uh, part husky, so he talks to you when he's not happy. And uh, he was interrupting us and being loud. And finally I said, go lay down. And he walked off, and about 10 seconds later, and he does this all the time, he comes walking back into the kitchen where we're sitting, and he has a napkin that he's found somewhere. And then he lays down right next to us and begins to tear it apart. And so he will go and find something that he knows he's not supposed to have, and go, fine, you won't pay attention to me, I'm going to make you pay attention to me. And he does it all the time, and it's kind of hilarious most of the time, uh, and we're usually good about catching him, but uh, he has also caused us to limit our Christmas tree production this year because we just knew that he would begin to steal things from the tree, and he's proven to actually be pretty good. So I hope things are going well at your place, at your house, your preparations, and uh, and that you're looking forward to this holiday. Don't forget, you can join us online for Christmas Eve, but it's going to be different. Now, if you just want to stream Christmas Eve, it will be available, God willing, and all the technology cooperates, as soon as the service is over on Christmas Eve. So about 7.30, 8 o'clock at the latest, we'll have it uploaded and posted. Um. And the reason it's going to be different is because we are going to record Christmas Eve, but we're actually hosting Christmas Eve on a Zoom conference. We're going to test some of it later tonight to see how it goes. If you receive the newsletter on a regular occasion in your email box, you will receive all of the detailed information tomorrow. And you can forward that information to your friends via email we just ask you not to post it on social media Facebook those kinds of places because it will have all of the information about how to log into the meeting and we only want people logging into the meeting who are supposed to be logging into the meeting Um, and so the one way that we avoid that is we don't put the meeting ID and the password out on public forums you have to receive them directly so that means if you're not on the mailing list and receiving the newsletter, you won't get the information. So if you want it, write this down. Email Zoom at c3ak.com and say, I want the deets, I want the details on Christmas Eve, and we will send it to you. Or you could also just email us and say, put me on the newsletter list. And then when the newsletter goes out tomorrow, you will get that information and so much more that we send out each week. And then we'll have our regular newsletter probably again later this week. And I want to give a shout out to Pastor Jason, who's been super faithful in getting an article or a link to something interesting to read for each of our newsletters for the past several weeks. And I appreciate him doing that. So that's the important stuff about Christmas Eve coming up. And so before that, we're laying these foundations these last few weeks of Advent anticipating the arrival of Jesus, anticipating the birth of the Messiah. And, uh, oh, let me say one other thing about Christmas Eve, since we're thinking about that. Uh, Some of the other details, if you don't happen to be on the newsletter list, or you haven't read your newsletter, we have here available for you. Today, uh, I don't see him in here, but he might be... uh, one o'clock today, between one o'clock and two o'clock today, right here in front of the church where the drive through is, Pastor Jason will be available to give to you, if you would like to come and pick them up, brand new Christmas Eve candles that you can have at home to do your own candle lighting as you join us, as well as we have some beautiful little gift packs that were created, put together by our EKG group, uh, led by Jim and Jan, And uh, we would love to give you some of those to have for your household. If you have friends that you know are going to attend and you want to pick up stuff for them, you can do that also between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock today. And then again, Tuesday Tuesday. Tuesday, between 5.30 and 6.30 right out here in the drive-thru. That'll be your last opportunity to pick up the stuff that we have for you. All right, so uh, I really hope that you'll join us and uh, pray for us that everything works like we want it to because it'll be fun if it does. If it doesn't, it'll be a train wreck and, you know, that'll be what it'll be. Um, even if it's a train wreck, we'll still have something to post for you that you can enjoy later, all right? But we're preparing for that celebration. We want you to be prepared at home to celebrate with us. So come and pick up your items. Um, take advantage of those, those, those opportunities and then join us uh, at 6.30 on Christmas Eve uh, for our Zoomy Christmas Eve service. We've been thinking about these themes of Advent, peace, hope, joy. Today we arrive at the fourth one, love, love. It's a big word. It's a big concept. Lots of different ideas in the world and in culture about what love means, It shouldn't surprise you, of course, that the Bible has much to say about love and what it is, what it looks like, what love does. I hope to give you a slightly different perspective this morning about a very famous passage of Scripture related to love. And it kind of makes me chuckle when I think about it. And it might make you chuckle a little bit, too, when you think about it. But um, our foundational passage this morning... Is just part of the story. We've been telling a part of the Christmas story each week, and this morning we we capture another part. It's in Matthew chapter 2. Starts in verse 1, right there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2. And it says this Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, remember we talked about this last week, Bethlehem, the house of bread the house of bread. Jesus said that he is the word, and then he also said that man doesn't live by bread, but rather by word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the bread of life. He's born in the house of bread, the city of David called Bethlehem. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, have you seen this bit in the news of late, that on December 21st, winter solstice, the darkest day of the year, for the first time, I think, or for the, yeah, for the first time since 1240, And then I'm not sure what the date is before that, but a long time ago. Jupiter, Saturn will align in the eastern sky. And if you've been looking, of course, lately we've had a lot of cloud cover, so you can't see it very well. But when it's clear, I don't know if you've noticed, but Jupiter and Saturn have been just brilliant in the night sky. But on this particular day, they're going to have a convergence. They're going to overlap overlap. And there are some scholars who think that this might be the Bethlehem Star because it'll be extraordinarily bright in the sky. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to see it here because it'll be on the eastern horizon, and we have mountains over there. But it might be at certain times, or if you can get high enough, you might be able to see it. But it's going to be visible through uh, much of the world, really uh, all over the world. And uh, hopefully we'll see some good pictures of that. But in any case, what we see there, if we're able to see it or see pictures of it, might look a lot like what these wise men described, that there was, a, there was a unique celestial event that occurred that marked the time of Jesus' birth, and they, through their studies... Thought that there was something significant about that, and in their own words, they followed this star. They associated it with the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and they traveled to go and find him. And as you might imagine, they got in the vicinity, but then they needed an address. No, uh, no Google Maps available. You know, you have arrived. Uh, they're just like, well, we're close, but exactly which house is he in right so now when herod the king heard this he was troubled and all jerusalem with him all right let's stop right there why is king herod troubled because he's the king and these guys have just said and they're very i'm sure they're 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 dressed in fine appointments he knows that they are are learned men, scholars, they study the stars, uh, they've divined some sort of knowledge that, that came from studies that were outside of themselves and they've arrived at this place, and they've just announced that they've come to see this this person who is called the king of the Jews and one thing King Herod did not want he was not interested in was an uprising of the Jews to challenge His authority and his kingship, and he's like, Well, who's this? Who's this guy? Who are they talking about? And he was troubled, and then notice that it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all Jerusalem be troubled if the king was troubled? Because the king is not a good man. And when this king is troubled, bad things happen. It's kind of that. You know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Except it's if the king ain't happy. Nobody's happy. All Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all of the chief chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, they went back to the prophecies. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote the prophet. For you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. All right? Now, King Herod takes this seriously. He, he is indeed troubled by this, and he makes a plan. So, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And what we learn from this is that Uh, What Herod's trying to reason out here is you guys followed this star. You came from a long way. You know, you didn't get here yesterday. There was no direct flight from wherever you came from. You had to travel over much land and hardship to get here, but here you are. How long ago did this sign appear, which is going to give him a rough idea of the age of this child? Now, we always think of it because we have, you know, the nativity scenes that we set up that, you know, there's Mary and Joseph and the manger and the sheep and the cow and the shepherds are there and the angels up above. And then the wise men are standing there and Jesus is still, you know, tiny baby Jesus there in the manger. But we learn here that there's some time that has passed by the time the wise men are able to arrive to give honor to the Messiah. So he says, what, when did this star appear And then he sent them on to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening, of course, which that's a lie, right? Hey, let me know where you find him, because I'm going to go
0: worship him.
1: And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now we learn here just a little bit later that uh, because they skip out on Herod and they don't come back and give him any information, Herod sends out a decree to have uh, all of the children under a certain age, the male children under a certain age, in the land murdered, trying to kill this king of the Jews. And in that time, we see that uh, Joseph and Mary escape to Egypt because they've heard of the plot of the king. And then we say, okay, how does this relate to this theme of love today? It reminds us all of these extraordinary events. The, I mean, the, from the beginning, the angel appearing to Mary and, and unrolling this story that just is so fantastic. This can't possibly be true, really. And yet Mary is convinced by the angel. She believes God and the messenger that he sent. And she takes that, the Bible says, into her heart this proclamation by the angel that she's going to to become with child by the power of the Holy Spirit rather than through the physical touch of a man and that that child isn't going to be any child but he's going to actually be the Messiah spoken of through all of the prophecies. She takes that, it says, that she took these words and she pondered them in her heart. She treasured them. And then Joseph, of course, when the, the, the theme first comes up, he's like, man, I'm out. This is crazy. Who is this girl? He, he doesn't he, he suspicions that she's been with a man because she's pregnant. But then God sends an angel to Joseph and says, listen, it's going to be okay. This is true. This is from God. And Joseph, it's such a powerful moment that Joseph believes and takes Mary as his own. And then raises Jesus as his own. These extraordinary events continue to unfold with the angels, the host of the heavens, appearing to the shepherds as they dot the hillsides. And they bring their flocks and they bow before Jesus and worship him, the lowliest of the people, the humblest of the people, given the first public proclamation that the Messiah is born. And then extraordinarily over all this time, God uses his mighty hand to lead these wise, scholastic, scientific men to come and to give honor and veneration to the Christ child. And then as the king plots his evil plan to try and kill this usurper to his throne, this overtaker, this king of some kind... He sends warning to Joseph and Mary so that they can go and flee and hide until it's safe for them to come back out and be public and live their lives. And we see in all of that the extraordinary length of God's love to go in order to restore a relationship between you and himself. Because that's ultimately, ultimately the purpose here. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Um, He didn't come to pump up his own ego. He didn't come simply to fulfill a prophecy that was given. The prophecy was given in order to highlight the reasons why God was doing what he was doing. And the scriptures tell us over and over and over again, even from the most flawed of characters, that God's overarching quality and purpose is to love. In fact, the book of 1 John actually says, God is love. It's one of the most emphatic and simplest statements in all of the Bible about who God is. Some of the other statements about who God is get kind of complicated, and they're big uh, esoteric and philosophical ideas, and sometimes we wrestle with them and go, wow, what does this really say? But this is pretty, I mean, this is straightforward. And it's not just that God loves. We have other verses that tell us how that God does love. But this is even more so that he literally embodies and is the expression of ultimate love. And I want to point you to some other passages of Scripture. Uh, And we're going to walk through several here, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time in them. I'm just trying to lay a foundation to give you kind of the final bit. All right, so go with me. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I know, we don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament sometimes, but here we go. You're probably going to recognize this. It is what our church mission is based on, our mission statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That word love, love the Lord your God. Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. He says exactly these words and then he, he tacks onto it. And, and, and this is in response to the question: Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the and the people were asking, what's the greatest thing we can do? What does God want us to do more than anything else? And Jesus says, you, you know the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, Jesus says, hangs all the law and the prophets. Which means if you want to understand anything else in all of the Bible and anything else about about what God desires for you to do, for you to be, for us to be towards one another, this is the place to start. Everything else is seen through the lens of these two things. Love God, love people. It is not any more complicated than that. Religion wants to complicate it beyond that and equate it with how people dress, what kinds of jobs people have, what kinds of music they listen to, what their speech is like, what their philosophical beliefs about certain political ideologies are. But for the Christian, this is it. This is the core of our existence, to love God and love one another. All of our friends, all of our family, all of our co-workers, our neighbors on our street, and then our neighbors by extension, All across the world, in every place, in every corner, from every stripe, from every belief, to love them. Fascinatingly, Jesus said, you know, Jesus spoke in a lot of absolutes, actually. It's a very gray world for us, often. But Jesus was fond of some absolutes. Another one was, by this one thing. Every time we do this, Jason, you know where I'm at. Is one thing, Carly. What's the name of that movie? City Slickers. Slickers, Thank you. Jack Palance. You young people are not even... I can't come up with it because I'm old. I can't think of the name because I'm old. You don't know it because you've never heard of it. But it's good stuff. Go watch it. One thing. Jesus says, by this one thing, people will know that you're my disciples. That you... Love one another. It does make you wonder, especially in today's climate, when people look at those who call themselves Christians and go, hey, those really, those are people that follow Jesus? Could it be it's because they don't see us loving one another very well? Just throwing it out there. All right, so this love This love is a a Hebrew word. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I'm not good with Hebrew. But it's a brotherly love, an affectionate love. Love the Lord your God. Second Chronicles five thirteen. Wow! Did I write that down wrong? (laughs) I mean, it's a wonderful verse. Oh, there it is. I see it. It's the last half. All right, so uh, there's all this stuff about praising and singing in unison and blowing the trumpets. And woo, it's a great time. Give praise to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The Hebrew word here, and I want to point out to you, there are different kinds of love described in the Bible. They're literally different words translated often as the same word, love. This is why it's important if you want to really dig into your Bible, get you like a Strong's, it's called Strong's Study Bible. It'll have where you can link to the Greek and the Hebrew words and it'll give you the the broader definition. It'll tell you some of the other things that are contained in this word. It's kind of like we talk about that, uh, you know, the native language has so many words for snow. And here we, Anglos, we have one. Snow. But they have all these other words to describe it. And we find that in some of these beautiful ancient languages especially. And so in 2 Chronicles 5.13, your steadfast love endures forever is his goodness. It's a a love that is goodness and kindness. Matthew chapter 5, let's jump to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the way people thought. And of course, Jesus goes on to say... But I tell you, that's not right. You should also love your enemy. All right? And the word here is agapao. And it's close to another word we're going to talk about in just a second. Agapao in the Greek. And it means to welcome, to entertain, to be hospitable. So Jesus said, you should should be kind to other people. You should show goodness to other people, even your enemies. All right, we see that word again in Mark chapter 12, uh, verse 30 and 31. Same word, agapao. It's interesting because this is the Greek version of the word from Deuteronomy, right? Because this is Jesus quoting. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And uh, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. That word there, agapao, means... Be, be kind to God. Show goodness to God. And then there's a third one. And we find it in John chapter 15, 13. John chapter 15, 13. Uh, I definitely wrote that one down wrong. <laughs> Let me look. I know it's in John chapter 15. What's that? Oh, there we go. All right. 15:13 Don't don't I know what it says, but I want to read it for sure. There we go. All right. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right, now, what we, what we see here in the teachings of Jesus, if we were to, to sketch this out, is actually what we find is when Jesus first starts talking about love, he talks about this love that's familial and it's kindness and it's goodness to one another, but he begins to make a transition to another kind of love that we should begin to express. And it sounds similar. The other word was agapao, right? This word is agape, agape, agape love. We, we talk about it as a God-like Love. And uh, that's the word that's used here. That it's, and Jesus is basically saying, look, I know that you love, and you are kind to one another, and you're beginning to follow those, that commandment to be good to one another, to show kindness, um, to defer to one another, and, and just be genuinely good and kind to one another. That's great. But there's another love. Now, there's a greater love that would cause you, to be willing to lay down your life for your friend. And that's the kind of love that God has. And it is the kind of love that he's calling us to as believers. And uh, when you look into this, the, the underlying meanings of this word, one way it's described, it's, it's an affection of the type that would pull out all the stops to throw a magnificent feast in honor of someone else. That's a picture of the love that God has for you. That he's willing to pull out all the stops and throw a magnificent feast in your honor. And we see that demonstrated in the lengths to which God has gone. To bring Jesus to us, to preserve him when he was threatened, and then ultimately for Jesus, as the Bible says, to willingly lay down his life for his friend. You. You are a friend of God. And he gives his life for you. And then finally, to, to put an end cap on this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is what makes me chuckle <clears throat> a little bit. And it's not a criticism, um, but almost every wedding ceremony you've ever been to uses 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, it is commonly referred to, I should have had Jim say this for me because he's got that deep voice, the love chapter. Bow, 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 bow the love chapter, and it is. It's all about love. In fact, if you were to go and look it up uh, on the old Googles like I did this week because I wanted to see what was out there, um, you Google the love chapter or uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you will instantly get references to marriage, except that in its context, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it has nothing to do with marriage. I mean, you can apply it to marriage, because, especially Christian marriage, because I just said, as Christians, we're to aspire to and work towards having this agape kind of love. And the word love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape, God-like love. But if we look at it in context and we understand how this Letter was being given to the church at Corinth. So let's start there. It's the book of Corinthians. It's being written to the church in Corinth, which was a famously sinful place. The church was struggling against the culture to find its voice for Jesus Christ. And what was happening was the church was being more greatly influenced by the evil culture than they were by the presence of Jesus Christ. And Paul was admonishing them and throughout this entire thing, and he does include marriage is in what he writes, but it's not in this part of the book. It's in a different spot, unconnected to this. He was giving them all kinds of instructions about, listen, you guys are are great, you love Jesus, you're following Jesus, but you're messing this up and I need to correct you in some things. And he's correcting them about, Church relationships, the function of the church as a body. This is this is the book where we get uh, the the body of Christ idea from. That you know, there's a head and a hand and feet, and, and all the parts of the body have to work together in order for the body to be healthy. And for the, the that's all here. In fact, it's just before this passage. And then he talks about spiritual gifts. Now, everyone is given a spiritual gift when they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God has gifted them uniquely with something that they are to use in the service of God's kingdom on earth. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I do want to read a section of this to you. So starting, uh, I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 4. So in verse 1 he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, agape, have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. All right, so that's an important principle right there to learn. Um, Right after this he talks about speaking in tongues and prophecy. Right before this he talks about spiritual gifts. And uh, right before that he talks about the Lord's Supper. So, you see, he's not talking about... Marriage right now. He is talking about this in an application to every single person who calls themselves a believer, that the love that God showed in bringing Christ to us now, this is the love that we should be expressing. And he says, if I'm not doing that, if I don't have agape love, which is a love that is willing to lay down my life for those around me, my neighbor, and I'm talking about anything, it's just noise. And why is that? I think we see a lot of it in our culture today. People know that when you don't actually care about them, even when you say kind things, they don't really, it doesn't really mean anything, but certainly when you say things that are hard, Or challenging, and they know you don't really love them, they will reject everything you say as noise. And I got to tell you, in a lot of ways, the modern church, especially the American church, as it blends nationalism with its faith, is messing this up in a big way. And we are dangerously close as a, as a, a large entity, a universal entity of losing our voice to speak to the nations and the people because the message we're giving is the wrong message because it doesn't start with love. It starts with animosity. It starts with conflict. It starts with brokenness. And out of that, all people hear is a clanging symbol and a banging gong. And if we would start with love, we would have a different discourse. All right, then we go into verse 4. And this is the thing. If we cast this like we do in most marriage ceremonies, and I'm I'm 100% sure it was in ours. I don't remember a lot of ours because I was so busy looking at my beautiful bride. I don't remember a lot of what happened, but we have it on video, so we go back and look at it. This great picture of when she walked through the door back there—that my friend took—and man, the look on my face—I was just like, I was gone. I, I sang a song that I wrote, that I can't remember, but it's also recorded. And uh, and I don't remember much else after that. Just being there with her. And so we tend to think of it this way, this passage, because we hear it associated with that ceremony so much. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. All right? All that stuff. We get get these nice, lofty, pious words and everybody's looking at each other with lovey-dovey eyes and it's awesome. It's great. But that's actually not what it means, particularly. We should embrace that in our marriage relationships. But Paul is giving a very specific and i would i would argue a powerful a an insistent a corrective direction to the church at corinth and the church of america should listen to this because they were messing it up and i think we're messing it up so, hear this not in a romantic context when the writer writes it, because he's not writing it in a romantic context. He just said, if you don't have love, everything you're saying is just noise. And then he says, and this is what that love should be love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things. It hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But love never fails. That's how most of the translations write that. This one says love never ends. Most translations say love never fails. It means it, it never falls down. It never tips over. And I think for me in my spirit, when I hear that as an admonition, as a directive, as a correction, a little bit of a, a chastising and a discipline, it makes me think more carefully about how am I speaking to and treating and thinking of my neighbor. And I want to be a love chapter Christian. But in the way in which it's really meant. Which is to have a voice in my community and among my friends and in our culture that people listen to because the first thing they know is that I love them above all else. I'm going to pray a blessing for us here as we close up this morning, and then we're going to finish out with one final video. And as always, uh, those of you who are joining us on YouTube, if we get kicked off, um, because the music we're using is copyrighted or something. The links are in the description. I'm sure Jan has thrown them into the chat uh, boxes already. So you can go watch that on your own uh, when we're finished. Uh, And uh, we're glad that you joined us here today. Don't forget about Clare House. uh, And this is a a complicated one for us because our day is on New Year's Day, which means food drop-off is New Year's Eve, 7.30 p.m., right here uh, please email Pastor Jason if you can help with that this month. And then uh, also don't forget about Christmas Eve. Picking up your supplies here today, 1 o'clock, Tuesday, uh, 5.30, I think is what we said. And uh, and then join us for Christmas Eve. If you have not been getting the newsletter, make sure and uh, message us, zoom at c3ak.com and let us know that you need that information. Other than that, friends, I love you, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of your faces online this week. Also, don't forget that you can jump in and join TBA Theater for their beautiful shows this afternoon and this evening, and use that to celebrate some Christmas in your house. And let me pray with you now as we go. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you, May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.